Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast for Real Life Church Pullman. We exist to help people know and become like Jesus. So I have the pulpit for the next two weeks. And so if you need a good nap, maybe I can help you out. No, I'm just joking. Uh, So when asked what I want to preach about, like right away, it's Jonah. So Jonah has been like a significant book in my life. So for a while there, looking at scripture, like I knew like the writers of the scripture like had a different mindset. They lived in a different time period. It's not like they were like, ooh, there's this guy named Alex. He's going to live here in the future. You know, this white male with his addiction to a smartphone. Um, kind of wondering what he's always choices, too many choices to eat. Like there's all these things like they wouldn't be thinking about me or many things in my life. They just had a different way of thinking about things. And so, like, I knew that, but it just never clicked. And for me, the book of Jonah is where it clicked. Like, oh, the writers think about things differently. So in my own, like, scientific mind growing up, like, the idea of, like, what's, when we think of Jonah, we think of what? Whale, big fish. And so my mindset goes to the idea of, okay, what type of big fish it was? It a whale? Can someone live in a whale for three days? Is there whales in the area of the world? And those are the questions like my mind picks up to ask. The author of Jonah would never even think like that at all. Like, what's the, actually the significance of the, the big fish itself? Like, there's more to it than that. And so there's all these points, and hopefully over this week and next week, I'll bring some stuff out and also hopefully tie it to like, okay, what do I actually do with that information? Like, how do I actually walk it out in my life today because you're real people at a real time. Like, what do I do with this knowledge about God or what God wants? And so um, I was thinking about Jonah. And when I think about Jonah, I think about my own childhood. And who knows the great art of storytelling of flannel graphs? Yeah, some of you know what I'm talking about. So for those that don't know, uh, the church has different periods of like how to tell stories to children. So one was flannel graphs. There was a whole couple years of like Muppets. That was a big deal for a while. Um, now we have video. Uh, but with the flannel graphs, there was like a, a felt board and these felt pieces and you stick the, the characters of the Bible to it and it sticks together. Um, and I remember like when I was in Sunday school, like the best job was the person got to tear off the flannel graph characters. Like that was an amazing job. And so I was like, okay, I imagine that someone on YouTube has created a flannel graph of Jonah. And they did. And it was really good until the end of the story. Because what they did at the very end of the story is they tied it up nicely. That Jonah learned this great lesson. His heart was changed. He figured things out. Guess what? Jonah does not. We have no idea if Jonah did. Like, they don't tell us that. The author of Jonah doesn't tell us what that is. And so let me get us, we're going to run through, run through the book of Jonah for you if you've never heard the book. It's only like four chapters. It's in the Old Testament. It takes like 20 minutes to read. And we'll read a lot of it um, this morning. But basically the story goes like this. So the word of the Lord came to Jonah. And Jonah was to go to Nineveh and let him know that God has seen their evil, that there's going to be destruction. So what Jonah does is he goes down to Joppa and jumps on a boat to head to Tarshish. So that's actually away from Nineveh. He jumps on this boat, and he's on this boat, and then God sends a storm, sends a big wind, and the boat is starting to like fill up, and Jonah goes down and takes a nap in the stern of the boat. And the men, the sailors, are like tossing cargo out, trying to lighten the boat up, 
And then they're like praying to their gods and they're like, where's this other guy that we know is supposed to be on the boat? So they go wake him up and they do a thing called cast lots and the lots fall on Jonah and they're like, what have you done? Like how have you angered your God? And kind of Jonah tells them he's running away from what he's supposed to be doing. And Jonah says, well, just toss me overboard. And the men go, no, and they try to row back to shore. They try to do all these things that they can't. And so then they end up throwing Jonah overboard. So Jonah goes to the water. Then this big fish comes and swallows him. And he's in the belly of this big fish for three days and three nights. He has a prayer, and then he spit out onto the land. And God says, arise and go to Nineveh. Jonah goes to Nineveh gives a little message to them about, like, you're going to be destroyed in 40 days. The people of Nineveh listen to him, and they put sackcloth on, and then the king of Nineveh hears about it and tells everybody, even animals, not to eat or drink for three days, and they put sackcloth on and repent, and the anger of the Lord goes away. They're not going to be destroyed. Jonah hates this, and so he goes on this hill, looks over the city, builds a tent, for shade, and he's up there looking over the city, and then the God creates a plant for shade that Jonah goes under, and then there's this little worm that comes and eats his plant, and Jonah's very distressed and wants to die again. And so then there's this conversation to Jonah about like this plant and about Nineveh and all these things, and then we end it kind of there. So it does not wrap up nicely, it does not wrap neatly. I think about like the movies I really like. Like I like movies that have a clear cut, maybe because I'm from the 80s and early 90s, like, like the good guy and the bad guy, the Americans against the communists, or Americans against the Nazis, like these nice straight lines. And then they also, like the good guy wins at the end. Or like the rom-coms, like the couple gets together at the end. It's all nice and tidy. Are the stories of the guy needs to learn a lesson so his life is different, and he actually learns a lesson and his life is different. Like, all nice and tidy. Jonah is not nice and tidy. There was a movie I watched when I was, like, in college. And uh, this family, there's this daughter that passed away. We don't even know why she passed away. And then the, uh, as they try to tell the story, but they kind of allude to this or they allude to that, and then the movie ends. No idea what happened to her, no idea who killed her, like nothing at all. This is like 20 years ago, and it still bothers me. Like, I still think about this story. I'm like, like, can you just wrap it up for me? Let me know what's going on here. But no. But there's also a point to that. Like, this is part of our American mind. Like, we want everything nice and tidy that we really don't have to think about it anymore. My hope is, in the next two weeks, that you walk away and you're like, okay, I have to think about this. Like, something about this bothers me. And what I like about, like, looking at these ancient writers of Scripture, is they put things into Scripture that should bother you. That should be a little bit like, huh, like, what's going on there? And so as followers of Christ, one thing I always like to look through is the scripture, the lens of Jesus. And we see in Jonah that Jonah pops up in the Gospels a couple times. And so I want to read through those just to get a kind of idea of where Jonah pops up. So the first one is Matthew 12. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. We answered them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign. 
Let no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with his generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. And then we have Luke 11. Kind of similar, but it's a little bit different. When the crowds were increasing, he began to say, this generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it, except for the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became, uh, became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the son of man to this generation. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear wisdom of Solomon, and there behold, something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. And then we have this uh, story in Mark. And one thing that Mark does sometimes is when he writes, he writes things in a certain order to make you think of different either passages of scripture or certain events. So he does this when uh, Jesus is going to be crucified. He lines up that story with how like a Caesar would become a Caesar, like those steps involved. So someone reading it would go like, oh, I've heard that before. Like I've seen that before. And he does the same thing here with Jonah. So on that day when the evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat. So the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? So we look at our Gospels, that Jonah pops up, that this sign of Jonah, or someone who is coming is greater than Jonah. For us to understand that, we also need to know who Jonah was. What does it mean for Christ to be a greater Jonah? Like, so when Jonah was on the boat, fast asleep, like, he was asked to be tossed over, but Jesus came out of the boat and said, calm, the, the, the storm cease. The storm ceased. Like, there's something that's similarity between Jonah and Jesus that the authors are looking at. But for us to know that, we have to look at Jonah. So I want to start, actually, at the last chapter of Jonah. So Jonah 5, 5 through 6. Then Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city and there made him a booth, a tent, and sat under it in the shade till he might see what would become of the city. So when I think about this idea that Jonah's sitting on the hill, think about like uh, a friend of yours who has like, they're a fan of a certain sports team. Like they own all the memorabilia, they watch every single game, like their life is that team. And so, and their team is horrible. It's one of those guys that has a horrible team. So his whole life as a childhood, he grew up with this team, and it was his team. And now that he's older, and the team is finally doing well. And so they make it to like the championship or whatever that might look like. And at this championship, they do well until the very end, and then his team loses. So your friend is devastated. It's almost like everybody else in the stadium leaves, and he's still sitting there in the stadium, like dumbfounded. Like 
so many emotions, like he doesn't even know what to do with them. It's just despair. That's kind of how I vision Jonah sitting on this hill. Because God said, like, Nineveh repented. And God's anger wasn't going to destroy them. But Jonah still went on the hill to watch what might happen. Let's go on the next slide there. And Jehovah God prepared a gourd and made it to come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head to deliver him from his evil case. So Jonah was extremely glad because of the gourd. So as you read this couple of verses, there should be a question that pops up. What did Jonah himself create? A booth, a tent. For what? Shade, right? So, and then we get this plant that's also for shade. So what is the point of this plant? If you read this uh, section of scripture, like in the NIV or the ESV, different translations, uh, sometimes that word used, um, they said, for instead of evil, like I read in the ASV here, uh, is a word like distress or discomfort. Like there's this, the sun is so bright, like God, because God creates a wind that comes, it's so hot. So this gourd, this plant is supposed to protect him more and it's gone and it's not there anymore. But he has a tent for shade. And so these are the things like an author of that time would put in there. It's like, almost like, hey, there's something going on here. There's something different. There's something I should pay attention to. And so the ASV translate this word for his evil case, is the word evil. This word actually in Hebrew pops up multiple times in Jonah when talking about the evil city of Nineveh. So it's translated every single time as evil, except for some cases in the different translations for discomfort at the end. But the author of Jonah is pointing towards this. It's not just about shade. It's about Jonah's evil. That God is trying to save Jonah from his evil. What evil? Jonah went and did what God asked him to do. Maybe he didn't like it, but he still did it. So what evil is Jonah being saved from? So we'll start at the very beginning of the story. So Jonah 1, 1 through 2. So now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Meatai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh. So Nineveh is a Syrian city. The Syrians were a brutal, brutal group of people. Like they attacked other nations, and what they did to other nations was horrible. They would take like, the leaders of those other nations and skin them alive. They would take thousands of people and place them on spikes alive. And so as they died, they died slowly as their body went down the pole. They would go through places and cut off people's limbs and gouge out their eyes and keep them alive so that they walked around and people saw them. They knew that the Syrians were in control. These were horrible people. So when said the guy, that God saw the evil that they did, like, man, these people were evil. So... Rise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Like God is seeing what's going on there. So if we look at a few of the other prophets around the time, these other like, pre-Assyrian prophets, we get prophets like Amos and Micah um, and then Hosea. And so let's say you're reading Jonah for the first time. So but you've read these other prophets first you kind of might get to know, like, okay, so it starts off basically the same way as these other prophets. So we, we know we're going to happen. A lot of times prophets are more for the, 
for Israel, but we still get an idea of, okay, but... So first, like, what is a prophet? A prophet is like a voice of God. A prophet is someone that, some people say the idea they speak truth to power. Because a lot of times when a prophet is sent to say something, it's because the people are doing something evil or wrong or horrible, or they're using their power to like, take control of others or do something difficult for others. It happens in Israel all the time. That Israel starts going a direction, a wrong direction, and then God sends a prophet and says, hey, if you keep going this way, bad things are going to happen. So if I was to say the idea of like, if you say you're a high school teacher, what do you do? You teach high school, right? You're not like an accountant. So when we have Jonah, he's a prophet. So what should a prophet go do? Go say, go say what God said, go do it. So one of the prophets we'll look at real quick is Hosea. So Hosea 1, 1 through 3. The word of the Lord came to Hosea, the son of Rai, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, king of Judah, in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take yourself a wife of whoredom, and have children with a whoredom, for the land commits great whoredom for the sakeing of the Lord. So he went and took Gomer. So basically saying, Hosea, go marry someone that's going to cheat on you. Because this is going to be representation between me and Israel. So what does Hosea do? He goes and marries Gomer. So the assumption would be when you start reading through Jonah is God's going to give him a word and he's going to go. Because why would God choose someone that would not do that? Like if you have one person you're going to choose in all the land to go share what God wants to say, like in Amos, you get a lot of like God says this and God says this and it's very poetic, but it's like a ton of wordage. Like you would have something that goes and says what God's going to say. But we get Jonah instead. So in Jonah 1, 1 3 through 6 here, but Jonah rose and fled to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And he went down, pay attention to the word down. It pops up over and over again. This is something like um, ancient writers would use. It was like repetition. Like if you hear a word, like it's there for a reason. So pay attention to it. So he went, went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest of the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. And then the mariners were afraid, of course, and they cried out to each other, or so they cried out to their gods. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship and into the sea to lighten it up for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give you a thought to us that we may not perish. So this time Jonah goes down to take a nap. He must be a great sleeper. That's pretty impressive. In a big storm that you're about to die, he goes and sleeps. And the next part of the story, like I said before, was that like they're going to perish, they're going to die, so Jonah has them thrown over. And he goes down into the water. And so I'm going to read uh, Jonah 2. And 
couldn't pay attention to like the story that Jonah's telling. Because we always had the assumption when Jonah was thrown over to, into the water that pretty much right away the great fish came and swallowed him. Like it happened like almost instantly. I don't know about that. If you read his prayer, you get something maybe a little bit different. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me out of the belly of Sheol. I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and all your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me. It took my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought me up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fading away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you, into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah up onto the dry land. So the way of this, this prayer... We get this idea of Jonah going down into the weeds. Where are the weeds found in the water? Like, connected to the ground, to the bottom of the the sea. Like, he was drowning. The waves came over him. The water came over him. And he was drowning, drowning, going down and going down. So there's this this old Samaritan uh, story. And so in this ancient story, when it talks about, because it also brings this idea of three days and three nights. So it brings up the idea that it takes three nights and three days to get out of the underworld, get out what we maybe call hell. So what is the point of the fish? Not about what type of fish it is or how Jonah survived in it, but it's Jonah's salvation. That something happened as Jonah was drowning and he looked to the Lord and prayed. And the fish came and brought Jonah back up into life again. There's one more verse I want to read in Jonah. Jonah 3, 1 to 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Like, don't miss this verse a second time. Because I think it all speaks to us that we've all made mistakes. We've all gone astray. But we serve a God that gives us a second chance. And I would say a third chance and a fourth chance and a fifth chance. But even in this, like, sometimes we get this idea of this Old Testament with God being angry all the time and do something wrong, you get slapped. Jonah paints a little bit different picture of that. That again, God came to Jonah a second time. Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city. It was three, day, three days' journey in the breadth. If you look through all those passages, there is one thing missing that you think you would find. 
this idea of repentance. And if you look through it, there is no word, the author never gives an idea that Jonah ever repented. And even that we kind of get that same idea later on when he's on the hill, when he's in distress, he's upset about that God saved the city. Jonah never repented. Because we could get this idea that God, you know, goes after Jonah on the boat, goes after Jonah in the water, like, to make sure that Jonah goes and saves the city, because that's what, just what God cares about. But really, we get this idea at the end of the book that God cares about Jonah. That it wasn't even about him doing the right thing, necessarily. That God says, I'm going to save you from your evil. And so when I look through like, these ideas of going down, so we pop up the first time, and he goes down to Tarshish. Tarshish is also an idea of like, going to like paradise, like if you think of like Hawaii or Cancun or Caribbeans or something like that, uh, my wife and I celebrate our um, anniversary coming up. We went when it was still really cold, went to Puerto Vallarta, and it was beautiful, like paradise. And I, and I keep having this thought over the last few months of like, oh man, that's just where I want to go back to. I just want to escape to paradise. Let's leave everything problems I have, whatever, and just go to paradise, just to get away. Guess what? If you go to paradise, who do you bring along with you? Like, yourself. <laughs> like, sometimes in our life, our problems are us. And guess what? God is there. I love the fact that Jonah actually never made it to Tarshish, because it really speaks to the point of, like, we can chase paradise. Maybe I look at it in the way of chase like other people's lives that you think are better than yours. Like we live in a time where you, you jump on your phone, Facebook, Instagram, and you see all these other people's lives and the amazing things that they're doing and how great their families are and the new thing they bought. And we kind of go sometimes like, oh, I wish my life was like that. Because if my life was like that, then my life would be better. Guess what? You still bring you to that. I think we have a God that cares enough about us to realize that, hey, if we run away there, like, there's still going to be problems. And we have a God that still chases us. Next time that Jonah goes down, he goes down into the boat and sleeps. For me, like, I think of this idea of avoiding. Like, we avoid our problems. We avoid what's going on. We ignore it. Like, I'm pretty impressed that Jonah could fall asleep in the middle of a storm. But I'm also impressed in our lives how good we are at avoiding things. Uh, it's my specialty. I love avoiding conflict. Um, I do a great job at it, but it causes actually more distress in my life. But even in our avoidance, we have a God that shows up. And the next time that Joan goes down, he goes down into the water. Like, he's like, just throw me overboard. Like, it's not worth living. A lot of times, even us seeking out paradise or avoiding, we get to a place in our lives where it's just, what's the point? Things don't make sense. This world doesn't make sense. I'm just done. Guess what we have? We have a God that chases us even there. I'd also like to say that even though Jonah is obedient to God, 
I think sometimes as like followers of Christ, churchgoers, like you're here, like we're good at trying to do the right thing. Like I grew up in the church, like I know how to play the game. I know how to be the nice Christian. But even in our obedience of trying to look correct, like we can still have evil in our ways, in our heart. So part of like, and I was just thinking through this, like for my own personal life, there was a time where I had this statement. The statement kind of went like this. is like, God, I believe you're in control, but I don't trust you. I believe that you're all-powerful, that you hold the world in your hands, but I don't trust you because what's going on in my life does not make sense to me. I look about like this. So when I was in, right out of high school, I worked for a department of corrections in their admin building, not around prisoners, but my job was to read prison mail. It was quite interesting. They complained a lot about stuff. I still remember a guy that got a letter almost every day that he didn't like peanuts. Got to know him well. But in this, in reading through this inmate mail, is I was supposed to make a, there's four prisons that all the mail came to for, uh, from these four prisons. And so three of these prisons, I had to make a copy and send the copy back to them and keep the, the original. This other prison is I had to make the copy and send the original back to them and keep the copy. And so I was filling in for a guy who was uh, taking a leave of absence. And it made no sense to me at all. So what did I do? I kept the originals of all four places and sent the copy back to everybody else. It's like, this idea makes no sense at all. And so when the guy got back to his job, what did he have to do? Correct my mistake. But like, I live in the world of like, okay, this does not make sense to me, so I'm just going to do what I think is right. What I think is the right thing to do. Like, yes, God, you are all powerful. Yes, amazing. You know everything. But in my own world, in my own, through my own lens, through my own eyes, like, I just struggle to trust. And so even in my own life, like, I see it in the way, like, like God saved me and is saving me. Like, I'm not perfect in that area at all, but for my own evil. And how I have to look about it, even the idea of Jonah, it's not about me just doing the right thing all the time. We used to have this saying that we said a lot here, that trust the story, that God has you on a story. We look through the life of the different people in the, the Bible and you can see how they trusted the story of God. Like today in your life, like where do you need to trust the story? But sometimes like things just don't make sense to you right now in your life. And you have a God that's chasing you. What does it look like to trust his story? What I see in scripture all the time is that we have a God that chases us. Somehow I grew up almost with this idea that like, because of my sin, like, God can't be close to me. Like, that sin separates me from God. But I've come to realize it's not that that sin separates me from God. It's that I separate myself from God because of my own sin. That I'm the one that steps back. I'm the one that runs away. But we have a God that shows up over and over in these people's lives. He shows up in places like you would never expect him. You expect God to show up in a temple, and he shows up in a desert. And maybe it's a piece of you just realizing right now in your own life. 
Like, I need God to show up. So show up now at this present time. Maybe identify with one of these areas. Like, right now, you're chasing paradise. It could be even the idea of, like, you know, your own fantasy. Like, just daydreaming about, if I had this, my life would be better. Maybe the idea of, like, you actually need to get off social media. I'm talking to those who are middle-aged, not just college-aged or teenagers. Like, middle-aged people are the worst on Facebook. It's true. But it's this piece of, like, these other people must have a better life. Maybe it's realizing, okay, I need to stop that for a little while. And trust the story that God has me on is okay at this time in my life. Maybe that you're avoiding, that there's something that you know God's been talking to you about, and you keep trying to keep yourself distracted to do other things. Maybe you're at a place where it's at distress, like things just don't make sense. The way that Jonah did, in the middle of the, when he was drowning, he prayed. And God sent a great fish. Sometimes we just need to stop for a moment as we feel like we're, life is making us drown. And we just need to pray. That prayer that he said on there was a mix of a bunch of different psalms. Like he really even, even used his own words. Like it's okay that you go and look at someone else's words and pray those prayers for yourself. Sometimes we don't even know what to say. But maybe today is just a time like I just need to pray because my distress right now is too great. Maybe it's also a realization that like I keep just trying to do the right things. We would call that legalism. And that makes me okay. It does not make you okay. Our Christian life is not about a balance of making sure we do more good than more evil. Like, that's not our Christian life. It's not just about doing the right thing. That God chases Jonah even after Jonah does the right thing. That maybe your own, like, legalism, your own trying to just try to do the right thing is kind of giving you a way of God working on your heart or changing you in some capacity. In the story we read in Mark, that Jesus was in the bottom of the boat. So we get Jonah, he's thrown overboard. We get Jesus, he tells the storm to stop. We get this person that is greater than Jesus. Where God is trying to save Jonah from his evil, we have Christ that came into our world to save us from our evil. Like he did sacrifice himself. Spent three days, three nights in a tomb to save us from our evil. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us by going to rlcpullman.com or by following us on Facebook or YouTube. Until next time, have a great week.